When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Uh, I was going to try and come up with something clever based on soccer winning again, but I got nothing. I just have Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman with me. <laughs> so, soccer won. I think that on the day that the World Cup officially began, uh, it is only right to start with the football. And that is the actual football that the most of the world cares about. And we're going to talk about men's soccer uh, because Steve, Christian, at about halftime, I started getting the feeling in the pit of my stomach that this was going to happen again. And then after Penn, and then Penn scored the goal and I went, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. It's happening again. And I got very scared and very sad. Um but in a, so typical so- a typical college <laughs> soccer fashion, all three goals were kind of the jammiest crap you've ever seen in your life. Right, all of the awesome looks that Syracuse had, or even that Penn had, didn't go in. It yeah. was just the janky whatever's in front of goal, like mm-hmm. in, throw it in the mixer, see what happens type goals. But you know, uh, you got to put them home to advance, and that's what the Orange did. The craziest thing for me about the game is that it did feel like one of those soccer games that you show to a neutral or a not soccer fan and they go this is why i don't like the game syracuse controlled most of the possession it controlled most of the stats i believe at one point it was 20 shots and uh eight corners to eight shots and four corners with like not a lot of time left in uh in overtime so it was not a particularly close game in terms of quality but Penn was really good at stymieing a lot of what Syracuse tried to do. And one of the things that I thought was really impressive about what Penn did, um, they would really find ways to pin Syracuse back in their own half and not let them get free or open uh, in ways that we have seen Syracuse really kind of turn games around. Um, I'm thinking about that Clemson game where it was really tight until Syracuse just got a few openings and were able to really stretch the game out and let their athletes take over. And Penn did just a great job of really muddying up the game, but not in the setting the low block and holding. They would set up a block in Syracuse's end and just not let the ball leave. Yeah, and that was probably about the 70th minute they started doing that, where 
the first two thirds of the game, Syracuse just bossed it and was living in the the pen, you know, for like their attacking third. Uh, and then Penn caught that goal on a, you know, uh, against the run of play. And it's 1-0 and Syracuse is on the back foot trying to clamber back. You know, thankfully they were able to, but it was it was a weird, weird dynamic. It was almost like something did switch off in the, the 70th minute when, or thereabouts, and Penn decided to start controlling play. And. I think it was also mainly a shift in terms of the attacking philosophy from Syracuse because a lot of the first initial attacks were how Syracuse has wanted to set up Levante Johnson that's through searching through balls and Johnson using his pace to get behind the defense. But, you know, Penn's defense is really, really strong, at least that back four, that shape held really, really well. So what Syracuse had to do to switch it up was more passing and more dribbling uh, play down the sidelines and basically more hold the play to get more people into the box. Yeah, and which, Apoku did which that. Which switched the admirably. game for Nathan Apoku. Yeah, he uh, he had a hell of a game. Uh, yeah. not, I mean, on the statue, yes, he, he scored, but he also, I mean, some of that hold up play and some of that footwork that he displayed was just downright impressive. Um, it, I don't know who ended up getting awarded man of the match, but, you know, he was right there in the conversation, if not. Uh, just because he didn't score the game winner, quote. No, he did. He scored the second. No, right? Johnson scored the second. Apoku scored. The oh first. yeah, Johnson was the the cross from uh, Jonah Leibold. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And I thought that one of the things that was just really uh, a player that did stand out was uh, Sinclair in the midfield. Uh, that he had a what I consider a kind of a classic Mac midfielder game where. <laughs> Everything was kind of just running through him. He was running everywhere. It was obviously it, Syracuse did not get their offense results in the way that they probably deserved to have it. But Sinclair was definitely the kind of guy that started the whole movement. Like I thought that Syracuse's ability to flip the field, um, both like uh, left to right when Penn was starting to try to overload or or crowd people into the sides. I thought that was. You know, Sinclair really stood out in switching the field a bit. And in general, it Syracuse deserved to win this game from, from the get. It was just one of those soccer matches where the team that deserves to win the game was not really ahead on the score sheet until until overtime, which, again, think I thought it was golden goal and I got really excited. ESPN's app also thought it was golden goal and said Syracuse had won after the goal went in even though there was still a whole other 15 minutes, or I guess 19 minutes to be played since that goal was scored in the first minute. (laughs) Changed that this year, thankfully. Yeah. Um, And the reason why you saw so much of that switching of play as well is because uh, Penn realized pretty quickly that uh, Noah Singleman isn't, you know, the same attacking threat that Jonah Leibold is. And so what they basically did is essentially overload Singleman's side to really make him uncomfortable, and that was a mistake because it left Leibold open pretty much the entire game to have Sinclair or someone from the back switch to play to the left side. Yeah, that's the 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 utilization of the flanks and the adjustment in the utilization of the flanks really did stand out. Um, Leibold going forward is he's one of a one of a kind on the squad. Um, yeah. You could even see the difference when they kind of tried to lock it down towards the end and brought Holbrook back on. Um, 
again, not the same attacking threat and is much more likely to stay home. And well, almost, they, also, they also switch formations. Also. I was going to say, it, it they, gives you a little bit different look. They first went to four four two, and then they went to five four one. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Holbrook being that, uh, bringing, bringing him on to kind of anchor that far outside, uh, well, I guess left back with three center backs in there as well. So... It was interesting also because when they went to four two, a singleman went to right back. And right. It was, and and Holbrook was basically playing left mid. Right, and Olu but was then, playing. Uh, Olu yeah. was playing the left back spot. Mm-hmm. That's a Jamie Carragher special in his first couple of years <laughs> in the Premier League. Yep, that's uh, <laughs> in in Chelsea terms. That's the Branislav Ivanovic. So. Ah yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. The it, it overall. I mean, they looked they looked the same team they have. Uh, still curious about Booster's injury, uh, the fact that he hasn't been back out there. The the current back three still looks good without him. Um, would be nice to have him in the later rounds, but they've they've performed admirably as it is. So I guess we'll see we'll see what happens there. Well, at least yeah. as Syracuse gets deeper, they won't have to worry about Virginia. Did that? Did yeah. they get knocked? <laughs> They lost to they lost to Marshall on penalties. Oh boy! Yes, um, in a uh, like there were a couple of uh, a couple of upsets that that went down, um, but that was probably the biggest one of the day. I would say um, right now Ohio State is tied up with UNC Greensboro at the end of regulation, so that one's going into overtime. Um, number twelve UNC Greensboro, Ohio State is the unranked team. Uh, UCLA, uh, the score should be final. UCLA has defeated Clemson. Number six, Clemson really? got knocked off by un- yeah by unranked uh, wow. UCLA. Pitt knocked off Akron, and that's a oh, down yeah. that's mm-hmm. a down pit this year against a solid Akron side. Yep, and Western Michigan knocked off number nine Lin- Linscombe. So yeah, so um, <laughs> if anybody had a bracket, things happening in college soccer right now. Yeah, if anyone had a bracket, it's probably not right. Well, I think now that we're kind of looking at what comes next, uh, Maryland gave Cornell a bit of a scare. Cornell was up 1-0. Maryland ties it uh, in the second half. Cornell pulls ahead. We now get a rematch with one of the two teams that knocked Syracuse off uh, with the loss this year. Gentlemen, uh, this game will be at the Syracuse Soccer Stadium, or are we getting a uh, quote-unquote neutral home site for this one, or do we not know yet? It, it seemed by it, the end the pitch held up. Yeah, it, it looks. Yeah, the pitch looked fine. I mean, that's the only thing that, unless another sudden lake effect storm, uh, suddenly shows up out of nowhere. Right on at the exact moment they happen to be practicing during or something to tear it up because. If if nobody's playing on it, I think it should should be perfectly fine. Yeah. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. But yeah, uh, yeah. If we I, can avo- I know the only reason why the pitch was getting ter- torn up is because of the precipitation that was happening yep. because of while people were playing. But I mean the the only thing that was really you know weather element wise today was the wind. So yep. And I, and last time I checked, that doesn't affect the integrity of the pitch. No, we should be good there. Um, Unfortunately, that that rematch, uh, as long as we can avoid an own goal and a uh, penalty, uh, hopefully we can hold off Cornell. Um, they do have, I mean, they've got plenty of talent, um, but it's, you know, uh, we we 
we shouldn't lose to them twice in a year. Let's put it that way. It would, yeah. help, if, it would help if some of the refs didn't miss some stuff like they did today. Yeah, they, they. I guess uh, they were letting them play. Are you, do you let that goalkeeper play with his hands outside the eighteen yard? Uh, that's yeah, yeah. Apparently, um, I yeah, that was. <laughs> I was. I, I just assumed I was on uh, kid duty at the same time, and I just assumed I saw something weird on the broadcast because they never even went back and showed a replay of it. But it looked uh, they, pretty blatant. A little bit later, they showed a Did replay. They? A yeah. little bit later, they showed a replay, and uh, yeah, um, it, it was an unintentional uh, hit, but his hand was not in a natural position. Right. So, so. worse worst case, it's a handball rather than handling. Yes. So no matter what, it should have been Syracuse At position there. It should have been a free kick outside right. the box. So, well, it was college. It was college ref central for sure. Uh, that was that was kind of my vibe there. But yeah, the Cornell, I, I think that it is kind of important to just explain for everybody here that that Cornell game was such a fluky loss. Um, and obviously, I think that there's some motivation here this time around to not, you know, have it happen again. But Cornell is a, they're the number 14th ranked team in the country. When Syracuse lost to them, they were the number 22nd ranked team in the country. So they're nothing to sneeze at by 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 far and away. But um, it does feel like this is a path for Syracuse to make some noise, especially with uh, Clemson now being upset. And um, that means that UCLA will be playing one of SMU or Vermont, and the winner of that game would play Syracuse and Cornell, which is a much easier path than perhaps another rematch with Clemson, which, you know, you play a team three times in a year. That's just that's just chaos. And that is now out of the Syracuse path uh, on the way to the college cup uh i think the only the lab before we before we move on i just kind of want to ask either of you like if there is something you have seen with this team that is either worrying or promising or are we just at the point where uh that the one key injury is is the last missing piece for this team to go into 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 final gear i'd like to see a bit more of levante getting developed through open play because his last two goals, while you know have been key goals, they they kind of came situationally. Uh, I mean, the uh, the winner against UNC was the long ball down the side. I mean, the long ball, um, you know, from Sheely yeah, in a distribution in an unsettled situation, and then this one was this goal against um, God. Who did we play today? Uh, Penn. Penn. Uh, the, this goal against Penn was due to a defender whiffing on a clear. So, yeah. besides that, Johnson really hasn't had his presence felt in terms of just normal game sense. He's just been the benefactor of favorable situations, which is not bad. You need that guy on your team. But right now, Syracuse needs a bit more in order to develop, in, in order to develop the offense because right now it's a Poku holding up the ball and then someone from the midfield making a run and playing a one-two with someone else. Yeah, I mean, Johnson hasn't been able to get in behind, and that's that's mildly worrying, but also a function of how teams are playing us, which should hypothetically open up that midfield. And you saw Kachevsky kind of push a little higher uh, uh, this game, but also the difference when Kurt Kalov came in uh, and his ability to, to kind of press the offense uh, higher up the pitch. So... 
you know, maybe, and Kalev came in for a Poku. So maybe that combination of um, Kalev and um, Johnson may, may unlock something. I don't know. But yeah, overall it's, uh, you know, let, let's go through all of the Ivies on the way to the college cup. Apparently so. Yeah. I, do. I don't, I don't mind having a, a Darby in the, uh, in the college cup, you know, the Cornell thing is nice, but yeah, I'm really getting tired of playing these, uh, these Ivy league schools that give Syracuse problems for no good reason. Could we, if we could cut that out, that would be nice. Well, I just looked I mean, at that, the, uh, it's a, it's incredible because that's in pretty much every sport where that the Ivies are good in soccer, lacrosse. Yep. Well, it could be re-traumatized by that. Thanks. Well, let's speak yep. of since we're uh, the 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 game time for SU Cornell has not been released yet. It'll be next weekend, uh, either the twenty sixth or twenty seventh. So we'll uh, we'll keep you updated on that. But since we're talking um, high high quality academic leagues leagues that are traumatizing Syracuse, uh, should we <laughs> should we eat the vegetables and go right to the Patriot League? Yeah. That is a great transition, Steve. I am I am impressed. Um, <laughs> yeah, Syracuse lost to Colgate again. Um, I don't really know where to start in this game because neither did Syracuse. Again, they lost to Colgate. <laughs> Why is this happening? Um, and it wasn't. I mean, they lost by twelve points. Like it's it was not a quote unquote close loss. Um, but there's a lot to take in there. Christian, tossing it to you first to pick apart your least favorite part of this dead carcass. So, defensively, I don't have too much of an issue, actually. Which is probably surprising, but, like, I think defensively you can actually fix a couple of things. Namely, we already saw that in the Northeastern game, which is... Jim Beheim throwing in the towel and saying, okay, this man-to-man stuff isn't working. I might as well just go back to zone. Offensively is where I have issues. is because most of this team should be should be good offensively. That's where a lot of the hype was. And we're back. Syracuse fell into a very, very predictable pattern once again, which was isolation ball and no off-ball movement and lack of passing on offense, which because Syracuse fell behind so early, it kind of drove into what I feared in the predictions thread, which was Syracuse would uh, get desperate and then try and force things offensively. And you saw a lot of that with this team where a lot of this was Judah Mintz and Joe Girard trying to play hero ball. And it just wasn't at the efficiency that you needed it to be in order for Syracuse to be successful in a comeback in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I still can't wrap my head around, you know, they later in the week, you saw some of the, the movement things corrected, but against a drastically uh, inferior opponent. Um, So it's a matter of what will translate. I mean, Against Colgate defensively, was was there a defense? No, like, it's, oh, it's man or there zone. Wasn't a defense, there wasn't a defensive scheme either. Right, 
but no matter no matter what they relied on neither option man nor zone looked remotely passable against a a team that can shoot like that yeah and this isn't the colgate from last year this is a colgate who's what uh 500 on the year now they're 500 on the year yeah yeah Yeah, they're also uh ranked according to ken palm they are 98th uh, total Ken Palm at three and two on the season. Syracuse is fifty sixth. Um, so to kind of give you an idea, this is not the Colgate team that is uh, the everybody's favorite dark horse NCAA tournament team. This is a much worse version of that Colgate. Yeah, they followed up uh, beating us by losing to Duquesne. You never want to be losing to Duquesne in basketball. I can tell you that. <laughs> So yeah, oh. See, yeah. Though the more frustrating thing has to be the passing and off-ball movement. That's got to be the really, really frustrating thing. It's because, I mean, Judah Mintz was supposed to be your point guard who, you know, freed up Joe Girard to do some shooting. First of all, Girard had an awful shooting game: four fifteen from the field, four twelve from three. Like that—that's another worrying sign in itself. Is that? Like, if, if you're going to get that officially from Gerard, apparently the offense just shuts down, which just should, not, should not be the case. But Mintz only had two assists against Colgate, which also should just not be a thing. He had five against Northeastern, which is a much better outlook. And it's, an amazing, it's amazing what three assists can do to help open up stuff. But the good thing that I like from Mintz in a Northeastern game is that he was driving to the rim a lot more. And instead, against uh, Colgate, he was kind of settling a bit uh, for some mid- mid-range shots. But uh, against uh, Northeastern, he was driving a lot more to the rim and getting easy buckets to open up passing lanes and perimeter looks, which is something that the Syracuse really, really offense, really, excuse me, really, really needed, um, especially for Jesse Edwards. He only had six field goal attempts in the Colgate game, which... Yes, that was a bigger opponent than he was probably used to seeing at this time of year. But even against that type of competition, he should have more than six field goal attempts. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a senior veteran 6'11 center. Like, you, you don't need to, to baby the this time of year thing with him, or at least we shouldn't at this point. Um, I mean, he only had 10 field goal attempts against Northeastern, too. So it's kind of a... I, and I guess it's one of those where I would like to have seen touches, like a, actual stats on that, but that doesn't show up in a box score. And I didn't pull up advanced stats. That's usually Andy's bag. Um, so the, okay. like, I don't, I don't know. It, it seems seems like the offense is doing weird things, like you said, Christian. Uh, Gerard is doing his wonderful shoot over 50% from behind the arc and shoot 30% from inside the arc. Uh, which, less than? Uh oh yeah season season long yeah I was just looking yeah. specifically at uh, Northeastern uh, where he was thirty three percent inside the arc and fifty five percent outside the arc mm-hmm. which totally totally tracks totally tracks yeah the uh, I have to actually I did not re up my subscriptions for my advanced stats to take a look at the Ken Palm box scores or the shot quality box scores for um, Syracuse Colgate that's how far off-the-radar college basketball has been for me, to be completely honest. Um, this game does not help in the in that regard at all. Um, 
But I do think that this is like for those who are doom and gloom and, and looking for signs that everything is falling apart. This is the first time that Syracuse has lost back to back matchups against Colgate since 1962. Um, so I've, I've been on the doom and gloom train for a while now. So, yeah, yeah, it's I, I don't think things get. And the thing is, the things don't get any easier this week. Um, you know, we were talking about this before the show, like Syracuse is going to be playing in Barclays tomorrow night against a not terrible Richmond team. Um, and the, you know, depending on what happens there, they're going to get another not terrible team. And I'm just really worried that this team, even though the talent might be there in the long term, right now in the short term, things are so messy that they're going to dig themselves into a hole that, they're not going to be able to pull themselves out of uh, by the end of the year. Like, we've seen it now in a couple of seasons. It doesn't matter what Syracuse does during ACC play, and everybody wants to become junior bracketologists and watch 10 to 15 different teams as the season goes down. But at the end of the day, if Syracuse ends up with 10 losses, Syracuse has 10 losses. They're probably not going, uh, going to go far if a lot of those 10 losses are to teams that are objectively terrible. And Col- the Colgate loss... I do not think is going to get redeemed to become a good loss just based off of the way that Colgate's projecting. Um, And so now you start worrying about, like, we've got Richmond uh, first up, Richmond's 90th in Ken Palm. They are basically the same thing as Colgate, just a little bit better. Um, That's obviously not promising. Uh, Then you, like, uh, we take a look at Temple. Temple is 89th. (laughs) Um, There's not all, like... St. John's 88th? Uh, that is, let's see what St. John's is. St. John's, St. John's is 34th. Uh, oh. So oh. that's Great. probably a good team. So uh, and, John's and then right Temple. after that, we travel to the fighting Tommy DeVito's too. Who are. Oh my God. Yeah. We go straight to <laughs> Illinois, don't we? Yeah. Which I guess what's after, I guess what's straight after Illinois. Notre Dame. Oh. At Notre Dame. Is wow. this football season or basketball season? Yes. <laughs> so for those wondering, St. John's is 34th. Illinois is 24. Is Illinois is 24th in Ken Palm. And Notre Dame is 65th. Um, so if Syracuse beats Richmond, which they should, they immediately face what should be the three toughest opponents that they have. And if they lose to Richmond... Um, I think that is when we start looking around at the ship taking on a lot of water and start figuring out how, not necessarily how do we jump ship, but which things do we want to salvage and which things are we just going to let go down with the whole thing? Because yeah, if we drop um, to Richmond, like all the, all the old dogs on the site are going to be howling about uh, recaps of 91. So it's uh yeah, not going to be pretty. And that well, was even before my time on the Steve is old train. Well, I feel like every year we get some non-conference games against like Verm. I know we haven't really played Vermont in a minute, but like Vermont's one of those teams. Um, man, there's a few. Just I will, I will have forever harbor a hatred of Dayton for for no good reason except for one NCAA tournament game. Um, otherwise, Dayton has been perfectly fine, <laughs> but. Every Syracuse fan has that one team that they hate because they upset the Orange in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that sounds right. Vermont was yeah. the the TJ Sorrentine game was my my bellwether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
mine. It's it's weird for me because Syracuse, in my time of being a Syracuse fan, Syracuse has either not made the tournament due to weird bullcrap, or has gone on a weird miracle double-digit Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four run. Oh, that is kind of weird. Because so, all right, Christian is young train. 2014, the first of the Bayheim sanctions. That was the 14-15 yep. season. 15-16, the Final Four run. 16-17, first team out. First seed in the NIT. And I didn't give a crap about the NIT because he gives a crap about the NIT. Right. 17-18, Sweet 16 run. 18-19, 9 seed, but you lost to Baylor as an, as an 8 seed. Like, you really couldn't get too, too upset as that. Yeah. 20, no tournament, but probably wasn't going to make the tournament anyway. <laughs> 20, 21, Sweet 16 run. And now 22, didn't make the tournament. Wow. And here we go again. Well, you know that's what? The, that's the past eight years of being a Syracuse basketball fan. Not great, Bob. No, the, no. Yeah, what do you think about it? The past seven, eight years of being a Syracuse basketball fan have been miracle runs in the tournament or not making the tournament. You've almost had a better time watching football. <laughs> 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 what the hell, man? <laughs> Well, if you want to relive the good times of Syracuse history sports, you should go over to Home Field Apparel, today's sponsor of the podcast, maker of fine purveyors of vintage collegiate program that remember the good old times when Syracuse won the national title in 2003 and won the national title in 2003 and other things that happened, but we won the national title in 2003. Uh, they have a shirt for that, in case you were wondering why I'm talking about the 2003 national title. They also have tons of joggers, hoodies, crewnecks, and t-shirts of all your favorite Syracuse mascots, specifically Otto the Orange. They also have pretty much every other school under the sun, and if you are somebody who just wants the coziest, warmest, softest hoodie and jogger set to wear when it is very cold and there's five feet of snow out there for you Buffalonians. Homefield also does the basic essential stuff, no logos, just comfort. Uh, and for your first order, make sure you use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. Uh, that was probably one of the better ad read transitions that we'll have, and I don't have a good transition into the thing that we all really know we can talk about for the next one, 30 minutes, but we one, don't one, want to talk about for the next oh. 30 minutes. <laughs> one more thing before we do transition into the thing that we don't want to talk about for the next 30 minutes. Again, um, for those of you who haven't been listening to the pod for the past couple of weeks, first of all, where have you been? And second of all, hi, thank you again for joining us. Um, like, subscribe. Hope, yeah, like, subscribe, <laughs> all that things. Um, we've been talking a, a couple times about a cool thing that Homefield has been doing, which is releasing... Um, they released a vintage Indiana bomber jacket and have been taking suggestions on what school should be next. You can tell we want that to be Syracuse. So go tell Homefield Apparel that you want vintage Syracuse bomber jackets. Yeah, that would be that'd be pretty awesome. However, uh, one thing that is also awesome, uh, back to the Syracuse basketball thing before we get off the basketball or the, the basketball Syracuse thing. Um, there, there was news of a... Uh, scholarship offer going out 
So, mm. uh, or was that, did we catch that last week? We did catch that last week, but we might as well talk about it because of Vintage 2003. Right. Again. That's what got me thinking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. did we talk about that? We so, did. yeah. Then uh, we, we got Andy's live reaction to that last week. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. Okay. Pieces are all falling together. I got hit in the head a lot. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, for anyone who didn't hear it, uh, Keon Anthony has officially been offered by Syracuse. Hence the 2003 reference. Uh, he is the son of one Carmelo Anthony. Ever heard of him? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That's about Little known Syracuse. Just, just a dude. Just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this podcast and you do not know who Carmelo Anthony is, I really want to meet you. <laughs> like, contact the pod. <laughs> So, yeah, um, I guess we dive into the mess. I think it's time to dive into the mess. We put it off because we knew this would happen. Wake Forest 45, Syracuse 35. Was that the final score? Yeah. Great. I turned it off in the fourth quarter because uh, my brain could not handle that pain. Um, we, I... we, we, have, we, have to, we have to start with why Steve is here. We have to. Yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about the good things, but let's eat the vegetables first. Man, we need we, we the offense. We need, we need to give Steve as much time as he needs to air this out. Yeah, okay. So for context, we had talked about actually last show. I think it was literally last show we broke down onto how next year was going to be an offensive line transition season and how it wasn't that prospects were bad. It was just prospects were kind of a shrug and there are bodies that fit but not in the ways that they should fit this was probably the first preview of that um and much like black adam the previews do not leave me inspiring confidence of a prophet next year (laughs) um (laughs) sorry i'm bleeding into steve's next podcast um this offensive i I didn't think that they were terrible the entire game. There were a few times where they did things well. Um, but, Steve, the floor is yours to talk about an offensive line that, especially in the second half, really did not have a good time. It was more the offensive line than the offensive line this week. Ah, um, ah there we go. Yeah, sorry, dad joke. Here for it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, so for anyone who didn't watch the game or didn't hear the offensive line was without three starters, uh, Matthew Bergeron, uh, also a very important cog in the machine. Uh, Kalen Ellis, who is the largest cog in the machine also, you know, you can imagine not great to lose and was a Bleich was out, I believe. So you had three, three guys with, you know, 100 starts between them, uh, missing in action, including your NFL prospect left tackle and uh, your road grader of a left guard. So the look uh, left to right of the offensive line was Enrique Cruz, who is has been playing right tackle and is a, a bit of a um, the, the next man in, it seems. 
Uh, Enrique Cruz at left tackle. Uh, Dakota Davis shifted over to left guard. Josh Aloa uh, played center. Jacob Bradford got his first meaningful minutes at right guard. And um, why? Yep, Carlos Federella shifted out the right tackle. Um, don't know. Like, there's there's a lot to digest just by what got shuffled around there. In that Vetterello, who hasn't played a snap of tackle this year, shifting out there was a better option than whoever their backup backup tackle was. Um, so that's mildly worrying. Um, surprisingly, I mean, the interior of the line looked like hot garbage. Um, for a good chunk of the, if there was any issues with pass protection, it was primarily coming from the inside of the line. Uh, if there were issues in run protection, it was coming from the entire line. Uh, as Christian and I, uh, so Christian and I hopped on the uh, voice chat and Discord. I don't believe anybody else joined us during the game, but we were uh, we were talking on on the the Discord uh, server about what was going on as both of us were writing up our recaps. And uh, Christian initially brought up a phenomenal point that posed or uh, proved true the entire rest of the game of a called run to the right that was a zone right that was a you know designed Sean Tucker follow these guys this direction every single time that it turned into a counter cutback was a good game. So the offense was run away from your blockers <laughs> and it was working. <laughs> And I don't know how. I was going to say, Sean Tucker had probably his most productive game that I've seen in a very long time because of that cutback ability. And Wake Forest was just kind of showing that their defense is very aggressive in pursuit. Um, And Tucker had a couple of plays, specifically his touchdown around the end, where I was like, there's no way this is going to work. He has no blockers. There's no way he can get the edge. Oh, my God, he got the edge. Oh, my God, he scored. Uh, he's really fast, and I think that might be the simplest explanation as to why the cutbacks work. If you're not standing there waiting for him, he can just make something happen. Uh, Steve put it really well in our in our conversation yesterday, where basically the defense it, it was the defensive equivalent of out kicking your coverage on punt return, yep, on punt coverage because the line collapsed so quickly on every run play that basically. There are Wake Forest jerseys in the backfield, and Tucker had to cut for his own safety. And they were so deep in the backfield that they were that every conceivable angle to Tucker was compromised. Yeah, because of how quickly they blew past the offensive line. Yep, beat through the block, and then you can't run through physically through the guy to get to the running back that's faster than you. So, in in hindsight, it worked out okay for them. <laughs> I don't think that's how Mike Schmidt drew it up. I'm like 98% sure that is not how he drew it up. No, really, what makes you say? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that that look doesn't give me the warm fuzzies for next year without some sort of transfers or uh, major gains in the offseason. I, I don't know what's happened to Anthony Red. Uh, he was kind of a, a promising prospect coming up through uh, for a bit. I know Joe Cruz was listed on the backup depth charts as a guard. Um, why Dakota Davis had to switch there um, instead of bringing in Cruz or maybe it was they didn't want two true freshmen on the left side of the offensive line or Richard freshman, Richard freshman um, uh, didn't want to to basically fresh bodies 
on the left side of the offensive line together, uh, and that's why they moved Veterello out and Davis into left guard. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know, but uh, one way or another, it didn't look great, but somehow looked great enough for it to work to put points on the board. Because even when, even though Syracuse got beat by ten, like the the pass game was there, the the run game was whatever it was, but there was there was opportunity to string together some plays and actually put points on the board, which they did. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that we should probably talk about with this offense and what happened in this game is that the offense scored points. Uh, Garrett Schrader was back there at quarterback and the offense was putting up points. And I thought that the overall game plan was far more aggressive and a lot more of what we had kind of been hoping for with a bummed up Schrader, where Schrader's legs was were not the sole way that the offense was going to move around. There was a lot more quick reads and hitting guys in motion off of jet sweeps and screens lots of little quick outs to kind of buy Schrader time and potentially force the defense to kind of be a little bit more uh, less aggressive in their pass rush and their spying of him, which I really appreciated. And we even saw a trick play uh, with LaQuint Allen, uh, yeah. which I thought worked really well. Um, the uh, it's, it's just really frustrating because I don't want to put this loss on the defense because the offense did not help in the second half a whole lot uh, until it was too late. But... The, I really was happy with the step forward the offense took in this game, offensive line, with notwithstanding. I'm yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's mainly it was mainly because it was a return to form of how we how the offensive how the offense looked in the first part of the season, which were wrote quick routes over the middle, which is again what we all quickly realized that's Schrader's strength and. I'm not sure why even when Trader was injured, we went away from those concepts, but we returned to the said concepts and they worked. Yeah, they, I think we, again, something we discussed last night was watching early, uh, them repeatedly going to the sidelines and wondering what in the hell they were doing. And then they brought it in as the game progressed across the middle and it looked a lot, lot better. Yeah. Um, I, let's talk about the defense a little bit. That was um, not ideal, and Mikel Jones went down early in the game, and I believe I saw on the sidelines him in a walking boot in full pads. Um, I don't know if there was any other confirmation post-game of him staying in the boot or what his status is for the BC game, but the defense and Wake... I mean, Wake... The, the caveat to all this is that Wake Forest's mesh read offense is a pain in the ass to play against. It's basically it's a pain in the ass like to playing watch. against a service academy. <laughs> it hurts it's to watch. so dumb. Steve and, I, Steve and I hate that so much. It's an infuriating. Like It's effective, but it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> things can be two things. It can be effective and dumb at the same time, and this is that. No, it's... Uh, that, that whole... The whole game, and yeah, I mean, you you said you don't want to put it entirely on the defense. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'll I'll take putting one on the defense for the first time this year. Like this one was definitely on the defense. The offense put up points. Yes, they they put some up late too, uh, and there was that lull where they had a couple of couple of strings of three and outs or 
minimal minimal time getting the defense off the field, but it was still it was still on. I mean, yes, Sam Hartman is Sam Hartman, but also like there were plenty of guys making plays or guys that got outplayed in coverage. Um, I'm thinking Isaiah Johnson getting turned around. I'm thinking Deuce getting you know blown on that stop and go. Um, like they 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 were not the defense that we'd seen all year. So and and again, like a lot of that is this is where uh, a lot of it it's where I don't want to put too much on the defense, but I will give the defense its like share fair of like criticism here yeah. because like to put not put everything on the defense again. It was Sam Hartman who is who continues even though he's got a lot of picks this year, he still throws the ball really really accurately and um and most of his completions were to A.T. Perry, who is just a physical and athletic beast. Who, yeah. Like, it's going to give most cornerbacks some trouble. He reminds That's, me of Mohamed Sanu when he was at Rutgers. He was just good, a yeah. different different physical specimen than everybody else on the field. Mm-hmm. The thing that I didn't like about the defense, and it's another one of those... God, this. Why are we bringing this up again? Like, what, what did we do to deserve this? Bringing this up again, but it's soft zone coverage, and it's a lot of it is on the cornerbacks, where I, it's so rare to see Syracuse cornerbacks. And I, I remember seeing it maybe th- twice, maybe three times in the game, where the Syracuse corners play some form of press coverage on the line. Yeah. Now, whether they drop back into zone or not is a different story, but you're not leaving yourself many options when you line up 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage as a corner. Yeah. I was talking to my uh, – I, I know a couple people that follow Wake, and they were basically saying that if you press us, like, you will win this game. And and it's And it's a trend that Syracuse continues to not play press coverage, and you have to start wondering why. Well, I think we saw it like one of the things that I consistently said during this game was just what is that coverage and not necessarily the schematic coverage, but the actual man to man coverage, the number of touchdowns or big plays where the cornerbacks back was turned Um, the the number of times where the corner or the safety had no idea where the ball or the man was at the point of release and was clearly scrambling, and they have been... It look, it's very obvious that they have been taught not to find the ball, but to play the man. And I thought that there could have been a hundred more pass interference calls with the way that Syracuse was basically just face-guarding uh, players. Like, Hartman was throwing a lot of balls actually behind his receivers, and I think that that kind of helped Syracuse out a bit because it was helping with, like, the, well, even though he's not looking at the ball, the right receiver has to come back into the defender to get it instead of getting called for a pass interference. But just in general, like, it just seems like our corners are... We know that the secondary is young behind Garrett Williams. That has been exposed very obviously. It looks like they are a lot more raw and a lot more young than we had even anticipated. And... Even Deuce has looked like he has regressed so much. And like he is just not the same guy that we saw at the beginning of last season or even the end of last season who you could feel comfortable putting on your number on the number two uh, for the other team 
and being able to at least minimize that impact. And I don't necessarily know what's going on in there, but it definitely, like, you can, you can just see it on every Wake Forest touchdown. The secondary had their back turned to the quarterback. They were playing the receiver and not playing the ball at all and just made life way too easy on the Wake receiving core. And the the worrying part about that also is that Isaiah Johnson's a grad transfer, so he's not coming back. So you just, you still don't have that much depth behind uh, the cornerbacks anyway. Because your next man up is Jeremiah Wilson, who's already, you know, not been great also in relief of Deuce. And it's frustrating because, like, the quarterbacks have been not great, but the safeties have been really good. Which is, it's just so weird because the safeties this year have been excellent. And I brought this point up to Steve. It's like, if your safeties have been so good, then why not slide Elijah Clark back to his natural position at cornerback? And that may be what fills your gap next year as well. If you're looking at Johnson being a grad transfer, you know, slide Clark back over there. Or uh, was was Simmons a cornerback as well? No, he was always a safety. Okay. Might be Clark that I'm yeah. thinking of as well then. Um, but yeah, with Deuce, it was, I mean, yes, he, he wasn't as good at the beginning of the year as he was prior, but it's also people knowing how to target him after a full year of film. Uh, but he also had Garrett on the other side of him, which no matter what, him getting the number two is a lot different than him getting the number one every time. And you saw it with Perry, the double move that he burned Deuce on Yeah, was pretty good. And, I mean, Deuce is what just literally was just looking at his uh, – he's six foot 198. A.T. Perry is 6'5". I'm not a doctor, but the physics there are not conducive to Deuce doing phenomenal things there. Yeah. But it, it's it's just one of these things where again you're kind of seeing that we're so we've been very spoiled in what we've had prior for, uh, prior to the season, yeah. and now that Garrett's gone, it's it kind of it, it it hurts. It's not fun. Oh, uh, but, Quan, Quan Peterson's the other freshman that's kind of in the conversation, right, Christian? It's like him I haven't and Wilson. seen that much of him. I was thinking him and Wilson were the ones that were mentioned. I don't. I just remember seeing Wilson as the only guy who's actually like seen like decent playing time. Yeah. Yep. You know, maybe I'm having uh, flashbacks from Quan being listed on the depth chart or something. <laughs> I've stared at enough of those over the weeks. Yeah. Uh... The, the the depth chart thing is is getting is ridiculous, especially going into this last game of the year. Part of me is just like Dino, just do it, dude. Just just give us give us the uh, give us the real one. Nah, that'll never happen. Nah, you're never gonna get a real you're never gonna get a real depth chart from college until un, unless the NCAA uh, institutes some sort of mandated injury report rule like the NFL does. Right. Yeah, and that's not happening as long as uh, gambling is still taboo because that's the only reason the NFL even does their their injury report. So, <laughs> yay, sad things. <laughs> yep, confirmed it. Quan is now the listed as the backup to Deuce. So that's where that came from. Interesting. Um, so in general, uh, we have one more game left on the season. Syracuse is going to play uh, 
Boston College. They are somehow 10-point favorites on a road game because BC is that bad. And I think Djurkovic is also expected to be hurt. Uh, so that is also probably a big reason why. I mean, this should just really be the Sean Tucker day, right? Like, we just give the ball to Sean Tucker and let him and let him cook. Like that's that's the deal. Can we can we do the so, Cam Akers plan and just make him the the wildcat? So because we're going to Chestnut Hill, we have to play as if this was an Adazio team. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That's how that's many, how the rule works. How many carries did AJ Dillon get that one time? Oh, like God, it hurt. It hurt watching that. It was just like they, they might they they shouldn't have handed off. Like Andy's saying, they should have just run him in a wildcat. He got the ball so much. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, that game. Uh, that game's gonna sit with me for a while, for sure. <laughs> like, oh, oh man. Uh, anyways, I'm just thinking about that, uh, gentlemen. I I know that next week we're gonna kind of dive into the what does this all mean? Like, what was the season? What what did it feel like? But Magnus going into the last game of the year, like, where where do where do you all sit? Just as hey. Uh, this season has definitively been something that we said would be very funny if it did happen, except it did happen and we're not laughing. Um, it's, it's just, it feels very Syracuse-y and it kind of hurts how much it does, but I'm just curious as to your vibes, like, obviously we're a more optimistic group here, but how have, or what have you really just kind of taken away of this as like, okay this is how I'm going to try to stay positive, or this is what I'm going to remember most about this season, even though this, this stretch of games took place. The coaching hires worked out. Like, let's put it first. Like, the coaching hires really, really worked out, at least the major ones, in terms of an AM Beck, because those would be, you know, highlight And Ligashevsky. Sorry? And Ligashevsky. Yeah, and Ligashevsky. Like, special teams for all the quirks we've had with punting and whatnot have taken a dramatic... Uh, dramatic, dramatic, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. dramatic shift forward. So, like, like at least, like, that was at least a f- good first step in the right direction in terms of, like, okay, how do you fix the team? Like, first of all, get good guys that you know have good track records to at least start writing the ship. Like, that's the positive outlook. The negative outlook, unfortunately, comes to the same old issue that, Syrac- that has played Syracuse pretty much its entire existence of being Syracuse and that's depth issues and recruiting issues. Yeah. And that's, that's something we've come to note to plague them for years mm-hmm. and years and years. Um, Side note, the other one that actually should get more concerned, but hasn't been getting more concerned because people don't think forget that it should be a concern. Take from that sentence what you will, but like the thing that should be more concerning is injuries and, yep. you know, people dropping like flies at the end of the season because it happens every year except for 2018. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it really is about November. We hit critical mass and just turn into a giant mess. Yeah, I think, I think Nate Mink tweeted this out. I've, let me, let me see if this was Nate. Who did this because Nate's always good at this stuff. Um, about, yeah, Dino's records at the end of the year in November are considerably not great. 
Hmm. I'm assuming. I mean, and the, my the eye test backs that up. Yeah, like. So. Like. The. So in in Nate's latest article for Syracuse.com, Syracuse lost eight straight in 2020 and 2015. The 2015, the last year of the Scott Schaefer era. Syracuse lost five in a row to close out the 11, 14, and 17 seasons. And under Dino, if I remember correctly, Syracuse has only had two winning Novembers, or at least a non non below five hundred Novembers, and that was eighteen and nineteen, where they won three and one in eighteen, and then two and two in nineteen, if I remember correctly. Wow. So you're saying not great. No. And who's that on? Like, do is that on the strength and conditioning staff? Is that on? overuse is that on like where that is i mean that's something that they'll have to figure out yeah but it's it's definitely something that's been a concern especially in in positions where we don't need people going down repeatedly or in the case of you know uh rhino like i i don't know how the hell how the hell he got injured every single year he played but whatever um <laughs> I don't know. My my quick takeaway is especially if they if they finish the job against BC, uh, they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we let them off the hook. I mean, the, it's it's weird because like if you if it wasn't for the six and zero start, I feel like everyone or a good chunk of the rational fan base would have been all about, hey, we know this is the mess of a stretch. We're going to lose these games. We lost two of them in a manner that we should not have lost them. But there were, you know, quote-unquote reasons for it. Um, and ultimately, if they can end up 7-5 and five beating BC and going to a bowl, that's what, like, everyone under the sun said would be a positive season this year. More than a positive season, that was a right above average season. Yeah, no, I mean, six and six was the average minimum. Yeah, yeah, that was that was seven and five is a good season. Right, six and six was kind of the bellwether of like Dino's a hundred percent hanging around no matter what the buyout is if he gets to a bowl. And now there's people around that are complaining about possibly going seven and five, and who knows what's going to happen in a bowl. And getting another month of practice, and <laughs> like none of these things can be bad things. So, I don't know. Call me crazy, but I think if you take a step back and look at it objectively, it's an okay season. Yeah, I would. I would argue that this season is an unequivocal success. Um, but I do think that the way that we've gotten here is a great example of how um, how football, especially college football, is such a narrative-driven sport as opposed to the NFL where we really look at things in the totality. Um, and 
it's it's as very simple as like we make the joke all the time it's about when you lose not necessarily who you lose to if you're going for a playoff race um but for us this is a great example of yeah steve you said it i think seven and five was that was the optimistic prediction for the year nobody Uh, on staff said seven and five nobody on staff yeah and we are one win away from achieving that and we did determine that Christian was not the most disloyal idiot. There was a prediction on record from one of the outlets at three and nine. So, yeah. So yeah, this season is an unequivocal like it is a success. The issue is that um, it when you start six and zero and people are talking about the playoff and you almost beat Clemson, that lends to view the season fundamentally uh changes things and i think it has clouded the perception uh to a point that the discourse is is been very unhealthy yeah makes sense and and it 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 feels like the wheels fell off of a train that the wheels shouldn't have been on in the first place yeah 100 mm-hmm. percent I think that's actually probably the best way of uh, of describing that. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't even know what I said, but it sounds like it worked. <laughs> I, th- I think that that's I think that that's the way to approach it. Um, and so with that, I think that's the way to end tonight's podcast. Uh, so thank you everybody who tuned in to tonight's edition uh, or today's edition, depending on when you're listening of it, of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. Again, if you are listening to this on a podcast platform of choice, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, click the like button, help us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire all across the internet. Uh, if you are reading this uh, or watching this or listening to this on newsedition.com, we really appreciate you coming back to the site every day. It means a lot to us. Uh, and thank you to those who tune in and watch on Twitch or rewatch the Twitch broadcast. It's a lot of fun for us to see each other's faces. I don't know why you like to watch us uh, and our faces, but we really do appreciate the support. We do this every Sunday night at around 8 p.m. Um, so feel free to come and join us at any point in time. Uh, with that, we will be talking we, about next week. We will. We would be remiss if we did not mention, since the World Cup has started, uh, Canada's college team kicks off... Uh, the Wednesday, November 23rd at 2 p.m. against Belgium. So uh, tune in and check out Tejan and Kamal uh, in their opener against Belgium for Canada. Yes, absolutely. Go Canada. Go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange.